0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the passage of Scripture where the Pharisees are accusing Christ of casting out uh, Satan by the power of Satan, by canceling out Beelzebub by the power of Satan, because they refused to accept that he had his own authority over the demons, that he was powerful in and of himself. So they said the only way that he can do these miracles that he does, the only way that he can cast out demons, is because he himself is is using the power of Satan to do so or he himself is demon possessed to do this and of course Christ responds to them and he says this is ridiculous how can Satan cast out Satan and he says this in Matthew 12 26 he says if Satan casts out Satan he is divided against himself how then will his kingdom stand and we notice that he's actually asking them questions all throughout he's asking them these questions how then will his kingdom stand he wants them to realize something on their own to think through something on their own, that maybe what they think and the concept they have is, is, is misunderstood or it's not correct. And there's a fallacy in it. And he wants them to understand this on their own. And actually, we, if we read through scriptures, we find that Christ asks many, many different questions to people. And when he asks the question, he doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know the answer, obviously. He asks the question because he wants us to think about the answer. He wants us to understand what is this answer to this question. The answer to this question is going to help us to have a deeper understanding of some concept. So I want to go through briefly today of a lot of the different questions in Scripture that Christ asks us. And in this, we learn something. And in this, the people that were with Christ, they learn something. What are all the different ways? What are all the different things that we can learn through the questions that Christ asks The first reason Christ asks us questions is to test our faith. We read about this in the gospel uh, in John chapter 6 when um, Christ is about to feed the multitude. And um, Christ asked his disciples, actually he asked Philip specifically, he says, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Whenever it was time there for all of these people to eat, Christ asked this question, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And what kind of question was this? This wasn't, again, a question where Christ was expecting a reasonable kind of answer from them. The answer was, is we don't have a way to buy bread for these people. right?" So he wanted the apostles to acknowledge that there was nothing that they could do in and of themselves, but he wanted to test their faith. Do they believe that there is a way that Christ could actually make the bread enough for the people to eat? This is why actually Christ told them, you give them something to eat. When, when they were asking him about where, where are we going to get food for all these people, send them away because there's no way for us to find food. Christ says, you give them to something to eat. This was his answer to where shall we buy the bread? You give them something. But of course, we know that was impossible. This was to test their faith. So we ask ourselves, do we believe that God has this ability to grant us what he commands us to do christ here is saying you give them something to eat and then we say well i have no ability to do that so do we believe that christ will actually give us the ability when god tells us to do something that to us seems impossible when god says maintain a pure life maintain a life of obedience maintain a, a life of joy maintain a life of faith when he tells us to say to do this in this world that we're living Do we respond and say to him, this is impossible. How can I do such a thing? How can I live this pure life? How can I live this life of obedience? How can I live a pleasing life to God in the midst of a godless world? But here he's giving us the answer. He's saying, what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. Something that man cannot do, God is able to do. So he tests the faith. He asks us this question, do you believe that I can do for you the things that I'm telling you that must be done But you yourself maybe are too weak, cannot achieve it, but I can achieve it in you. I will do it and do the work in you. So this is the first reason Christ must ask questions, is to test our faith. The second reason Christ might ask us questions is to lead us to repentance. After Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, they hid from God. And and God, of course, knew that they were trying to hide from him. And so he asked them this question in Genesis chapter 3. He asked them, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Again, what is the purpose of this question? The question was not because he he didn't know the answer. He obviously knew that they had eaten of this tree. But he's trying to connect in their own mind the fact that they are now hiding with the fact that they have committed a sin. He wanted them to see that the reason that their relationship with god had turned from one of joy to one of fear and hiding was because of their sin right the reason you are in the status and the state that you're in now the reason you are hiding from me the reason you're afraid is because you have eaten of the forbidden fruit and you have disobeyed my commandment and this is why you are hiding from me so it's important for us to understand that that when christ asks us asks us questions he's asking for a very specific reason he wants us to see something that maybe we didn't see and here he wanted adam and eve to confess he wanted to confess their sin he didn't come and he didn't accuse them right he didn't accuse them he's coming to ask a question because he wanted to give them the opportunity to repent and to confess on their own without having been accused and this is the gentleness of god he's very gentle he comes to us and he says, "Have you sinned? Have you committed any sins?" And he waits for us to answer him and says, "Yes, Lord, I have sinned. This is the sins that I committed." So that in so doing, it comes from us that we are offering, that we are revealing ourselves to God, even though God has seen all along what it is that we're doing. But He allows us to 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 offer it to Him instead of saying, "You know what? I already know everything that you did, and here's what you did, and you're so bad, and uh, you know you ate of the forbidden fruit, and because of this, you know you're in big trouble." No, he says have you sinned have you eaten of this uh, fruit of the tree that i have commanded you not to eat so these questions actually help to help us to examine ourselves what is it that i have done maybe there's something that i have done that has caused this to happen to me another reason that christ asks us questions is to lead us back to the right track to lead us back on the right track when Elijah stood up against the priest of Baal. Maybe we're familiar with the story that the priest of Baal were going to offer a sacrifice to Baal to try to prove that Baal was a real God. And Elijah told them, no, Baal is not a real God. He is a false God. And so I will offer a sacrifice to the true God. And whichever one of these sacrifices, fire comes and consumes from heaven, this is gonna be the proof of who is the, the true God. And so in this very dramatic scene, You know, Elijah tells the people, pour water on the sacrifice, put water all around just to make it impossible for fire to catch anything, to to, to prove the power of God that when fire does come from heaven, there is no explanation other than this is truly a divine fire. This is not just any kind of fire. So the priest of Baal kept asking Baal to come and consume their sacrifice and nothing happened. And then Elijah, in this like, again, very dramatic kind of way, he asks God to consume the sacrifice and fire comes from heaven and completely consumes everything and the water and and everything. So in this moment, Elijah is the victor. Elijah demonstrates his power uh, or the power of his God. He demonstrates his confidence that he's not afraid of anything. And then he actually commands that all of these priests be killed. So by the end of this story, we see Elijah as being this man that has done everything correctly. You know, and he had so much faith, even in the midst of uh, you know, the fear of might, what might, might have happened to him if he had been wrong. He put all of his faith in God after making this, this altar that God was going to actually send the fire and consume this, uh, this sacrifice that he was offering. After this happened, uh, Elijah was threatened. He was threatened by Jezebel, the queen at the time, who was an evil queen. And she threatened him. And as a result of this, what happened? He fled, he ran away and he hid in a cave and he was so afraid of what might happen to him because of Jezebel's threats that he asked God to even take his own life, okay? God then comes to him and he says what? In 1 Kings 19, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He asked this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? What was the purpose of this question? Again, God knows why he was there. But he wanted Elijah to kind of think, it's like, well, what am I doing here? Wasn't I just the prophet that in in faith and strength, you know, God demonstrated his power in front of me and in front of the priest of Baal and demonstrated that he was with me, demonstrated that he had not departed, demonstrated that he was, you know, powerful and strong. And in that moment, like, I felt like I was... Uh, you know, I was doing everything right, and I wasn't afraid of the consequence because I knew that God was there with me. Why am I now hiding in fear in a cave? Why am I now so afraid that I cannot even show my face just because now I have been threatened by the queen? So God came to comfort him, and he asked him this question, what are you doing here? Like, think in your own self, what are you doing? Why are you here? You know, God is asking us the, the same question. You know, when we are living a life of fear or living a life of sin, living a life that God does not want us to live, he comes and he asks us this, this question, what are you doing here? Is this the place you should be? Is this the place that I have offered to you? Or have I prepared a much better place for you? Sometimes we live in this disp- depression and in sadness and in fear and in constant mourning or in sin and hiding ourselves and not being, you know, n- not wanting to reveal maybe secrets that we have inside that we're trying to hide from God and we're trying to run away from him and we're trying to run away with, from other people maybe that we're afraid of. And yet God is telling us, what are you doing here? This is not the place where you should be. You should be bold just as Elijah was bold and just I was with him when you were bold. You should remain bold and not be afraid because Jezebel cannot come and harm you as long as I am with you. So he's coming again to Elijah to comfort him, to lead him back to the right direction. Maybe you, 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 you got a little sidetracked here. Okay, Now I want to lead you back again. And how did he do this? By asking him a question. What are you doing? Another reason God asks us questions is to correct us. To correct us when we've gone astray. When uh, Jonah the prophet, after he uh, preached to the city of Nineveh so that they would repent, he went outside the city and looked on it. And waited to see, is God going to actually destroy the city or not? And during this time, there was this, the hot sun was beating down on Jonah the prophet. And it was very hard for him to, to endure it because the sun was so hot. So God gave him this plant that grew very quickly and like provided shade for Jonah. So that he could stay there and, and, and rest under the, the shadow of this plant. But then just as quickly as this plant had grown to give him shade, God sent this, this worm to come and eat this plant so that the plant was destroyed. And Jonah became very angry. He became very angry because the, the shade that he was receiving from this plant was not no more. He, could, he didn't have shade anymore. He was back to the sun is beating down on him. And so God spoke to Jonah in that moment. And he told him what? Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Again, we, we look at ourselves as, as our, um, our, our uh, motivations or our actions. Is it right for us to do or to think or to feel what it is that we do? And God is coming to ask us to examine our hearts. Are we, are we doing the right thing or not? What was the purpose of that God did this to Jonah? He wanted him to see because Jonah, Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be spared. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed because they were the enemies of Israel. And that's why when God first told him, go and preach to Nineveh so that they would be saved, jo- Jonah didn't want to go. He knew that God was so merciful that he would spare them if he went and he preached to them. So God, Jonah didn't want to go. And now here he is watching, hoping that the Ninevites are destroyed. So when, when God dis- you know, allowed this plant that was providing shade to Jonah, when he allowed it to be eaten, what was he trying to teach Jonah? He's trying to say, look how angry you are at the destruction of just a simple plant. How much more am I going to grieve because of the destruction of an entire city of people, Nineveh? He wanted Jonah to understand that the way that God was thinking, the way God was feeling. How much do I love these people and I don't want to destroy them? If you felt so strongly about preserving this plant, how much more um, do I want to preserve these people? And so he was correcting Jonah. He, he was correcting him. He was reminding him, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you working for? What are your motives? Are you my prophet? Are you the one who I send to do my work? Or are you doing your own work? Are you doing only what you wish? Or are you doing what I wish? Are you a servant of God? Or are you serving your own motives, your own, your own desires? And he was reminding Jonah of this to correct him so that he would understand what, what, what he was doing wrong. And actually the book ends at this point. Once, once God has this conversation with Jonah, the book ends. Uh, we don't know what happened after that. But here God is correcting him and he asks us the same question. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be jealous? Is it right for you to be hateful? Is it right for you to be afraid? Is it right for you to have all of these different, you know, maybe wrong reactions that we have to different situations? And he's wanting us to think about this question. Am I doing the right thing? Am I walking on the right road? Am I having the right reactions and responses to other people and situations around me? Another reason that God asks us questions is to reconcile with us, is to reconcile with us. After St. Peter had sinned against uh, Christ by denying him three times, and then after the crucifixion, and after the resurrection, Christ is, appears to the disciples and he has a conversation with St. Peter. And in this conversation, he asks St. Peter three times the same question in John chapter 21. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he's asking him three times this question, why? One time for each of the times that St. That Peter had denied Christ. What was the purpose of these questions when Christ asked him three times, do you love me? And each time St. Peter responded and said, Lord, you know that I love you. What was the purpose of these questions? Again, Christ knows the truth, whether he loved him or not. Why is he asking him? He wants us again to, uh, to, to, to think in ourselves, do we really love God? Do I really love God? You know, may we take for, for granted the idea that we love God. But imagine if Christ were to come to us and say, do you love me? What are we going to respond to say to him? How are we going to answer that question? Is it going to be as easy as saying, yes, I love you so much? Or are we going to start thinking, well, what have I done to demonstrate my love to God? How, in what ways do I love him? Because each time when St. Peter responded and he said, do you love me? What did Christ say? He said, feed my lambs. He gave him an action. He said, do you love me? Do good. Do you love me? Be a shepherd. Do you love me? Be an apostle. Do do the work of an an apostle. So he's asking us the same. Do you love me? He wants to reconcile with us. He wants us to to love him and he wants to show us that he accepts us. Even when we sin, even when we fall like St. Peter did, Christ comes to us again and he says, do you love me? And I'm still willing to have a relationship with you. I still love you. Even though you denied me, I still love you even though you rejected me. I still love you even though you did some abominable thing, some horrible thing, and you, you rejected me. And yet, I still want you. I still want to be with you. I still want to have a relationship with you. So he asked us this question to, to make us realize two things. One, God still loves us. God still wants us. And two, what am I doing to demonstrate my love back to God again? Another reason that God might ask us questions is to help us, or sorry, is to test our understanding of who He is. Do we really know who God is? Do we really understand who He is? Christ asked His disciples this question in Matthew chapter 16. He said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Why would He ask this question? Obviously, again, He knows the answer, but He goes to the disciples and He says, Who do people say that I am? Tell me. Okay. So after a few different answers, St. Peter finally, he said what? That Christ is the son of the living God. Okay? He is the son of the living God. And God asks us these questions so he can examine our faith. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe and know who, it, who God is? Do we understand him? Do we know his motives? Do we, do we understand his personality? Do we understand his love for us? Do we understand the sacrifice he made for us? Do we know him? Do we really know him? And, and this is what he wants us to reach. He wants us to know who he is on a personal level, not just to know him as a, a God of the Bible or a great God or a powerful God. No, he wants us to know him by name. He wants us to understand him by name. He, he when he was on earth, incarnate on earth, he had a name. His name was Jesus. He was a man who lived, who had a name. And he met p- with people and he interacted with them as a man with a name and he referred to the other people by their name. When he went to Zacchaeus, uh, who was on a tree, he went to him and he said, Zacchaeus. He called him by name. He, He knows us through and through, but he wants us to know him the same way that he knows us. Anyone who's ever been in a relationship where they love someone that didn't return their love knows the way that God feels. Anyone who has loved someone but felt from that person that they did not love them in return knows exactly how, how, how Christ feels. That he loves us and pours out everything to us. And yet he waits and waits and waits for us to return that same love. And yet we do not. So he's saying, "What? who, who am I? Who do, well, who do you believe that I am? Do you know me? Do you know me? Or do you just know about me? Do you know about prophecies that have been written about me? great, but do you know me? Do you know who I am really and, and sincerely? Or, you know, who do you say that I am? Another, uh, another reason Christ asks questions is to humble us. <coughs> In the book of Job, after uh, a long time of uh, Job justifying himself to his friends, his friends kept speaking uh, to him, accusing him of things, and Job kept justifying himself. And then finally, um, God rebuked all the group. He rebuked Job. He rebuked his friends because all this time, all of them were speaking without knowledge. They were speaking without understanding. They were speaking about what they thought, what they believed, what they assumed, but they weren't speaking with any real knowledge. In Job 38, when when after a very very long dialogue between Job and his friends. We see finally the god speaking and it's a very stark contrast because throughout the whole book the book is 42 or 43 chapters very long but most of all of that book is all the dialogue of human beings you hear all these people speaking back and forth and what are they speaking about they're speaking about god they're speaking about they know the reason why job is suffering and they seem to understand all these different theological matters and they give all these analogies and comparisons and everything and anyone reading this would think well People that can speak this long about a topic, they must obviously understand it pretty well for them to understand. But at the very end, we read in Job chapter 38, now God actually begins to speak. And when he begins to speak, he silences everybody else. And he says, what? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And this is the beginning of a long series of questions that God begins to ask these people. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you have any knowledge at all about anything you're speaking about where were you when i created the earth do you understand do you understand how i bring the rain and the snow and the clouds Do you understand how i feed the animals do you understand how i do all these things and he asks them all these questions over and over and over essentially humbling them making them realize that they are actually much smaller than they imagined themselves to be so this is one of the other reason god asks us questions he asks us questions that we cannot answer in order to help us to realize how small we are and to rebuke us when we're being prideful. When I imagine myself to be great, when I imagine myself to be above reproach, or that I know the direction that my life should go, I know all the answers to all of, my, all of the questions, then God asks us these questions to make us realize how little we actually do know. Where were you when, you laid the, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do we have any idea how God created everything that he created? we ask ourselves this question am i trying to be like god to imagine myself that i am like him to think that i am like him this is the problem that lucifer had in isaiah 14 we hear what what lucifer said what satan said he said i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will be like the most high this is what satan said this is why he fell he fell because he wanted to be he wanted to be like like god so again, do we, do we find ourselves tempted with the same, that I try to be like God, that I put myself in the place of God, that I think I know the answer to every question, that I am so stubborn in my own will, that I'm not willing to yield as to submit to God's will, because I believe that I know better than him. So again, God comes to us and he asks us these questions to humble us. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? The last question, uh, the last uh, point I want to make is uh, another reason that Christ asks us questions is to make public a private story of faith. So if you think about the story of the woman uh, who was in a crowd that had, her, uh, that had the illness and bleeding for 12 years. When Christ was in the crowd, there was a woman who had this disease, who she had uh, bleeding for 12 years. And she believed that simply touching Christ's garment, she could be healed. And she had faith to do so. And so she went quietly and she touched him. And the moment that she touched him, she was healed of her, of her disease. Now, Christ, obviously, he knew all this was happening. He knew this woman was in the crowd. He knew this woman was ill. He knew this woman had faith. He knew when this woman touched him. And he knew all of this. And he could have even spoken to this woman afterward, and he could have found her and spoken to her about what happened and the fact that she was healed. But instead, he chose to ask a question publicly. He said, what, who touched my clothes? What was the point of that question? Who touched my clothes? Even the disciples, they answered him and says, can't you see that we're in a crowd of people and you ask who is touching my clothes? Everyone is around you touching you, right? Because you're in a large crowd. The point of who touched my clothes was not just who touched my clothes in a physical way, but who touched me with faith? Who touched me believing that when they touch me, that they will receive something? Who believes that the, when, they, when they approach me, that I will offer them something that, that is unique, something that cannot be offered any other way? And so he asked this question publicly so that everyone would see her faith and he, everyone would see the power of her faith that anyone who comes to Christ even someone with a disease that cannot be healed with a problem that cannot be solved but having faith and believing that Christ can solve this and can can fix this that they can receive a solution to their problem that they can be healed so God asks this question to give glory to God and to emphasize the importance of faith so again for us you know sometimes we we see the stories of certain people that are very faithful very faithful Christians and these stories they encourage us, they help us to increase our faith, they help us to see the importance of faith and how Christ can heal even what we imagine to be unhealable. So in conclusion, we spoke about several types of questions that Christ has asked and the reasons why Christ asks questions. Not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants to teach us something through the question. The first was he wanted to test our faith. Do we really believe in him? Also to lead us to repentance. If we are living in a life of sin, he might ask us a question to offer us the opportunity to repent instead of just coming to accuse us of the sin that he already knows we are committing. The third is to lead us back on the right track. We spoke about Elijah, who was very powerful in his faith, but kind of got sidetracked. God came to him and he asked him, and he told him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you see what you're doing? Come back to the right track again. The fourth reason he might ask us questions is to correct us. If we've gone astray in the wrong path, he wants to ask us a question to evaluate ourselves, to see ourselves. Am 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 I really still walking on the right path, or do I need to make an adjustment? He also asks us questions to reconcile with us. He wants us to, to, to remember that He loves us, that He is with us, that He, even when we sin against Him, even when we reject Him, He still wants a relationship with us and offers us forgiveness if we offer a true repentance. Also, He asks questions to test our understanding of who He is. Do we know who He is? And do we know who He is really on a personal level or not? He asks us questions also to humble us. If we are puffed up with pride, He comes and he rebukes us simply by the question that he asks asks, to make us realize that we do not know as much as we think we know. And finally, he can ask us questions to make public a private story of faith. Like this woman who had the bleeding for 12 years, he asked this question so we would all benefit. Even now, 2,000 years later, we would benefit from her story. We would benefit from the faith she had. So may God allow us to hear the questions of God. To hear them and to understand what it is that is we should get from them. And glory be to God forever. Amen.